Let me invite you, if you have a Bible that you brought along this morning, or you're following along at home, to open to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18 today. And the, the question, as I've been studying this passage and, and praying through it this week, the question that I have been pondering is this. How far do we follow Jesus? How far do we follow Jesus? Are we willing to follow him in life? Are we willing to follow him into death? Have we followed him into the power of his resurrection life? How far are we following? When I was about 14, I think, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I was uh, invited to go to a Young Life camp in southern New York State. It's a place called Lake Champion. And we, we had a bus ride. I was living in Ohio as a kid, so it was like a 16-hour overnight bus ride. And one of the things that, that everybody was talking about on the bus ride was the high ropes course at Lake Champion. And I heard conflicting stories. My friends who were on the bus said the high ropes course was one of the scariest things they had ever done. Some of them had been to camp the year before. My leaders, on the other hand, these were people who had given up a week of their, their vacations from work to build relationships with teenagers like me. They assured me that the ropes course would be one of the most amazing things I had ever experienced in my young life. And they said, when you get up there, if you are afraid, don't worry, just follow me. I'll be up on the ropes course with you. And so our, every, every cabin was assigned a different time during the week. And about halfway through the week, it was our turn as a cabin of guys to go over to the ropes course. And I got there, and I, if you've never been on a ropes course, you pull on a, a climbing uh, harness. And they give you a rope that connects to that and a big carabiner. And you clip into this safety cable above you. And I did all that, and I took cautiously my first few steps out onto the ropes course. And at least at that time at Lake Champion, they had figured out that it's probably easier to get a kid to start on a ropes course if you're pretty close to the ground at the beginning. So they have this platform. You start out, you're maybe five or ten feet off the ground to start. But pretty quickly, as you continue on the ropes course, the ground goes further and further away. It falls, falls away from before you. Not only that, but the obstacles that you go through on the ropes course get progressively more difficult. But at each step, I had a leader, you know, just, just a little ways out in front of me saying, Dave, just, just keep going. Keep following me. You've got this. And we walked out over one of those, like, Indiana Jones-style swinging bridges. You're sure you're just going to tumble off. Of course, you've got a rope to, to catch you, but it's still intimidating. There was another section that had these trees that had been sawn off into logs, and you had to, to swing from one log to the next to get to, get to the next tree. Till finally I got to the last platform on the ropes course. And we were a good 50 feet or more off the ground at that point. And there's this, this little spot you can sit on the edge of the, the decking in that tree, and they hand you a rope, and they say, okay, all you got to do to get down is just hold on to this rope and lean forward. 
and free fall a good 30, 35 feet before the weight of the rope catches you and swings you out over the valley below. And I'd probably still be sitting there with that rope in my hand, except my leader, this guy who had been pouring into my life for the past year, was already on the ground below me. He'd just gone before me, and he was shouting, Dave, you got this. Just follow me. Just do what I just did. Follow me. And those were words that I came to trust in a new way that week. Not just from my Young Life leader up there on the ropes course, but it was an invitation that I also heard in the club room that week at Young Life camp as well. Because every night we heard stories from the Gospels. And I heard that personal invitation from Jesus to come follow me. That I could follow Jesus into the best, into the hardest, into the scariest, and into the most life-giving places I could go in life. And for the last 25 years, I've, I've had my climbing harness on and my carabiner clipped into that promise. Right? To step out, to keep following Jesus further into the next thing. If you have, have heard those words, if you've responded to that invitation at some point in your life, you know there is nothing more valuable than having Jesus going before you in life. And knowing the protection that you sense, the, the strength that that offers to have Jesus going before us. But you also probably know that Jesus also goes places and takes risks and leads us toward obstacles that we would otherwise be inclined to, to stay back from. Today on this Easter morning, in John 20, we're given a, a first-hand account from John himself that follows three disciples through that first morning. We get John's own personal testimony. We get Peter's testimony and the story of Ma Mary Magdalene. But all of them have been following Jesus until on that weekend, that first Easter weekend, they run into a massive obstacle, blocking their path forward as disciples. Early in the morning on that first day of the new week, they are confronted with the reality of a tomb in which the body of their savior, their master, their rabbi had been laid. And the question is, how far are they going to follow him? Let me open with you to John 20. I'm going to pray for us that we might hear that the progressive following and obedience and going deeper into discipleship in these 18 verses. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the invitation to come and see, to come and follow. Lord, we thank you that you have found us so that you might lead us into life, and a life that is abounding, full of your grace and life and truth and love. Lord, I pray that you give us courage to step with you in life, to step with you even into death, and to know the power of your resurrection surrounding us before and behind 
In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let me read for you John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John, the evangelist. And she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw there two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Again, this passage zeroes in on the experience of three persons that first Easter morning. Mary Magdalene, John the Evangelist, John the Apostle, and Peter. And it tells us about how they arrive at the tomb, what happens when they get there. But I want us to, to take a step back for a second and consider how they came to be there in the first place. What led them to be at the tomb of Jesus outside Jerusalem on that morning after Passover? The Gospels tell us in, in various places about 
life-changing encounters that each one of them had years before this. We hear Jesus calling John to follow him on the banks of the Jordan River. We hear Jesus calling Peter to follow him at the shores of the Galilee. And we see Mary Magdalene's journey of discipleship begin when Jesus encounters her and delivers her from the oppression of seven evil spirits and releases healing into her life. And as a result, all three of them gave up what they had. They left everything they had in order to follow Jesus through life. They followed Jesus, we're told, you know, as the, the crowd swelled in admiration of Jesus, they continued to follow Jesus when the crowds threatened to stone him. They saw Jesus work great miracles, but they also saw Jesus embroiled in the controversy those miracles created for him. But they kept following him. They followed Jesus when he, he set his face, Luke the evangelist tells us, toward Jerusalem. They went with him, knowing, sensing what might be ahead of them. And Mary and John even followed Jesus to the foot of his cross. Right, they, are, they are there with him in the final moments on Good Friday. But when the, the finality of that Friday evening set in and darkness came over the land and Jesus' body was taken from the cross and placed in that tomb nearby. Right? They must have wondered. They were confronted with, with the reality that they didn't know how they could continue to follow Jesus if Jesus, Jesus wasn't there. Right? Jesus had been taken from them into death. What does discipleship look like in that moment? But in the, the early hours of Sunday morning, maybe throughout that weekend, something in one of those three disciples was, was stirring, was prompting her. And so Mary gets up before dawn, she dresses herself, she steps out onto the streets of Jerusalem, and she's compelled to keep following Jesus somehow. If she followed Jesus in life, if she followed Jesus to the cross, then she will follow Jesus even to his tomb. And we're not sure what Mary intends to do when she gets there. Some of the other gospel writers tell us she, she carried with her spices to anoint his body. Maybe she, she simply wanted to be close enough to Jesus to, to anoint his body with her own tears and, and to weep and to be close to him even in death. I wonder if in this past week, in this past year, you have followed Jesus to the threshold of his tomb. What if part of our discipleship is identifying with Jesus at the grave? Have we followed Jesus that far this morning? When Mary gets to, to the area where Jesus has been laid in the tomb, she doesn't quite arrive there before she sees that things are disturbed. Things are not as they were. She comes close enough to see that the stone which had safely entombed Jesus' body, that had protected him from 
from further violation and, and aggravation, protected him even in death. That, that stone had been rolled away. And Mary, probably fearing the worst, runs back for help. And she goes to find Peter and John. And she compels them to follow her to the tomb. And John, not naming himself, but we know it's him, he tells us that he's a little faster than Peter. <laughs> and he gets to the tomb first. But even though he's the first one there, even though he gets close enough to, to see in a bit of the tomb and see that there is linen lying there on the floor of the tomb, something stops John at the doorway. Right? Maybe it's the idea that, that Jesus, they've already lost him to death and, and now the grief of having lost his body to mourn over and to grieve is too much. We're not sure what stops John at the threshold there. But one of the disciples decides that is not following far enough. So in verse 6, we get Peter's arrival. Right? Peter, the denier. Peter, the one who was conspicuously absent on Friday at the cross. Peter finally shows up. He's sweaty, probably. He's out of breath. He's disheveled. But it says when Peter get there, gets there, Peter runs straight into the tomb. Peter is tired of keeping a safe distance. Tired of holding back in his discipleship. We're told that Peter is the first to follow Jesus into the grave. Imagine what it must have been like for Peter to enter into that space. Right? It's probably a tomb carved out of rock, had some steps that you had to descend down into to, to fully enter it. And as Peter enters that space, imagine the shame he carries. Imagine the doubts about himself that he carries. The exhaustion of the past several days that he's experienced. Peter brings all of that into that space, into the darkness and that place of death. But as Peter descends into the grave of Jesus, he encounters something has changed. Right? He sees the grave clothes, but he sees the grave clothes have been neatly ordered, but that they're empty. Peter seems to, to be aware that some power has been released inside that tomb. And he calls John to join him there. What if you and I are also meant to go into the tomb with Jesus? What if there's work that, that God's Spirit desires to release in our lives there as we're joined with Jesus in his death? Holy Week is often, I find, a, a difficult week, a heavy week for me, leading up to Easter morning. And this past week was no exception. I woke up on the first day on Monday just heavy in my spirit. There's nothing that I, I could name or point to, not a set of circumstances, 
just a kind of deep sense of weariness. And as I drove into church that morning early, I came into my office and I sat down at my desk. And I, I just felt this, this heaviness within me, but, but then give way to just a time of weeping. And I sat at my desk for two or three minutes. I think just feeling kind of the accumulated losses and grief of this past year, feeling the, the long Lenten season we've all been through together. And it felt like, like a, a place of, of death and heaviness, but it also felt like it was being released from within me. That the presence and power of God was in that moment as well, bringing healing. And I wonder if there's not some measure of that that Peter and John experienced in verse 8. When it says that as they stood together there inside the tomb of Jesus, they began to see and to believe. John says he believed that his days following Jesus are not finished yet. And there's still mystery to it, right? It says in, in sort of a parenthetical aside, they didn't still fully comprehend what the resurrection meant, but they left the tomb. They went back to where they were staying, pondering what has happened in the tomb that morning. Just as they're departing, having entered into the tomb for the first time, Mary, we're told, comes back a second time. She's not finished yet. She needs to be back at the tomb. To weep, to grieve, to mourn the loss of her Lord. But also, it seems, Mary is expressing her, her discontentment, her dissatisfaction with, with how far she has been able to go. She peers into the tomb and, and she sees two angels seated there and they ask her about her grief. And she says to them, tell me where his body has been taken. Where is my Lord? As if she could, could minister to him, protect him, maybe even offer her master her worship in death itself. It seems as though Mary wants to find some way to be with Jesus beyond the tomb. And as Mary is grieving and searching for her Lord, John tells us a presence, a person comes up beside her. And a man who she takes to be the gardener that morning asks her, he says, who are you looking for? It's remarkably similar to the question a rabbi back in John chapter 1 asks Andrew and John, who or what is it you desire? What is it you are seeking? Mary, who are you looking for? But Mary chooses not to disclose the name of the person she's seeking, but she just says to the gardener, just, just tell me where you have placed him, that I may go and get him and gather him to myself. What she doesn't realize is that the man standing next to her knows her name. And he is the one seeking her. And so he says to her, Mary. 
And in this instant of recognition, she, she turns and she sees the master she had given her life to follow. She sees Jesus, the good shepherd, who knows and names his sheep. She sees Jesus, who now in the garden there stands as the firstborn into resurrection life. She sees Jesus, the light of the world, who has broken the spell of death and darkness hanging over that morning. Deeply moved, she cries out to him. She addresses him, Rabboni, which means master, teacher. Mary has found and followed Jesus to the other side of his tomb. But Jesus, having led Mary in life, having led her to follow him to the grave, having encountered her here in the power of his resurrection, Jesus challenges her to follow him one step farther. He says to her, do not hold on to me, Mary. Do not just try to draw me near to you, but instead go back to your brothers with news of this resurrection gospel. And he says, tell them this, I am ascending to my father and your father. Jesus uses the language of fatherhood, the fatherhood of God, more than a hundred times in John's gospel. But it's always about his relationship to the father. And out of all of those references, it's not until he stands here in the garden, on the other side of the grave, on the other side of resurrection, that we learn that that relationship, that closeness, that intimacy with the father is meant for us too. My father and your father. So if we followed Jesus in life, if we followed him into his death, if we've been joined together with him in the power of his resurrection, then we can call God Abba, Daddy, and Father too. As Jesus would say in the upper room, he is going ahead of us to to lead us into that intimacy, to be children of God. And so he sends Mary back, proclaiming that message. My prayer for us is that we would go to proclaiming to our families, to our neighbors, to all of creation. That we can follow Jesus in all things. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.